0: You're listening to a online radio
1: podcast. Uh, the time of the evening where you join us on Wasail al al, el- al-, el- al- Sadiqah, Truthful News, and Alhamdulillah, once again, uh, George Galloway and friends, uh, join us. And uh, this is uh, when you get the truth, yeah, the real truth, and uh, it is not a uh, media that will uh, dupe you. It will unfold what's really happening around us. So I want you to sit down and enjoy another episode with George Galloway and friends. Lots of things we're going to hear about Davos and what America is doing and how the world is waking up what's happening in this world of Makroor. Sit back and enjoy. Bismillah.
2: New Year truce in the hostilities between the United States and the People's Republic of China. You would have thought they might have given it a break for a couple of days. After all, the Year of the Rabbit, which has just dawned, is a particularly auspicious year for China. The Year of the Rabbit usually comes with great success. But joe biden clearly isn't looking down that particular rabbit hole he is still mounting provocation after provocation trying to provoke china into action on taiwan so that they can impose full economic sanctions on china like they have on something like 55 countries in the world more than half the people in the world are currently living under United States sanctions I don't know how they keep track Joe Biden couldn't keep track of a grocery list but his country is sanctioning more than half the world and they are itching to do so against China thus all kinds of flotillas and plans for flotillas in the South China Sea in the Taiwan Straits everywhere you can imagine Biden is trying to dragoon former enemies, like Japan for example, where the Japanese and American leadership this very week condemned the use of nuclear weapons in the country where the only ever use of nuclear weapons took place. I can't remember who it was that dropped them, who it was that suffered them. I've got a funny feeling it was the United States that dropped them, And a funny feeling, it was on Japan, but there they were, warning China about nuclear weapons. China completely ringed by American nuclear armed bases. China would be, I think, well advised to seek, I don't know, some kind of defense agreement with Mexico. Maybe they could build some nuclear bases in Mexico. See how the United States likes it. They could steam their nuclear-armed submarines off the coast of San Francisco. After all, Chinese people played a very important role in building it. Mexican people used to own it. But these are the vagaries of American politics and history. None of these things are ever remembered. The Cuban Missile Crisis... Maybe never happened, at least in the mind of U.S. policy makers. Speaking of the U.S., and horrific atrocity. As far as I know, still unresolved with the gunman still at large. Ten people in Monterey, California, which conjures up images for me of, of love and peace, man, and tuning in and dropping out, but ten people lost their lives to machine gun fire. A man festooned in bandoliers of machine gun bullets was gunning down innocent people there in the land of the free, the home of the brave. And this country seeks to tell other countries how they should live, how they should organize themselves. Atlanta is in flames again, this time at the hands of so-called anti-fascists, Who would have been better employed, putting their obviously considerable energies into trying to stop a war in which the United States is on the side of the fascists, and digging out this week another $2 billion to give to Zelensky and his wife, who made a rather expensive trip to Davos. Much more about Davos later, with the incomparable James Melville, but As an aside, what happens in Davos that Klaus Schwab, George Soros and Bill Gates all decided to vacate it? Well, maybe James will have an idea about what's going on. But what we saw was going on was bad enough. It was a parade of second, third, fourth and fifth raters demanding more and more weapons, more and more war being poured into them all. They are, quite literally now, openly, declaring their readiness to fight to the last Ukrainian, to the last drop of blood of the last Ukrainian. And even then they say that Russia will not be allowed to prevail in Ukraine, which, if you think about it, is a declaration of war, which would have to quickly become a nuclear war from one side or the other, because, If Ukraine loses on the battlefield, as it is presently doing very big time indeed, more than at any stage of the war, fully one third of Ukraine is now Russian territory, and they are still declaring that Russia will not be allowed to prevail, which, if you think, as I say, must be a declaration that, if necessary, they intend to enter the war, so in Germany, in France, in Britain, and in the United States, and Canada. You need to ask yourselves, are you ready for your son and daughter to die for Kopiansk? You need to ask yourselves if you are ready to face the prospect of all-out European intermediate nuclear war, or even if it escalates into intercontinental ballistic war which means the destruction of every city, every sizable town in the entire world with the blast followed by the radiation and then comes the nuclear winter. There will not even be any rabbits, even cockroaches alive over that. So when your second, third, fourth and fifth rate leaders in Davos are making these kind of statements, know that they have consequences because frankly russia i think has already concluded that nato is now a party to the war no more just offering moral financial even uh, military aid support to ukraine but nobody with any seriousness believes that all this western material that is arriving at the grossly depleted ukrainian army barracks is actually going to be operated by ukrainians it can only be planned that this material is manned by NATO personnel. And if it is, well, we are at war with Russia. We who live in the NATO countries are in a state of war with Russia. And so far, it's a one-sided war. We are making war on Russia, but Russia is not as yet making war on us. But that must change. It's bound to Change. This material will, I think, in the very near future, very near future, start to be attacked as it crosses the border, might even be attacked before it crosses the border. Why would Russia wait for all this NATO personnel and material to arrive on the battlefield? That would be, militarily speaking, extremely stupid. So, I don't disguise my view. It's not, I'm sure, Russia's view. It's not anybody else's view, but it is mine that NATO is cruising for a bruising, that NATO needs a bloody good hiding. And I think it may very well be about to get one. Now Boris Johnson, as I said, is in Ukraine, in Bukha of all places, the site of one of the most notorious and naked provocations of the war, where bodies that were murdered by Ukrainian fascists were laid out on the ground. I've seen the footage of them being dragged around for the benefit of the cameras, as if they had been murdered by the Russians, when it is now known, it is known by every Western policymaker that these poor people were murdered by Ukrainian Nazis, the Nazis that we have been funding throughout the war, the Nazis that have just been legitimized on certain social media platforms as no longer Nazis. It's apparently their swastikas are now, well, Hindu symbols. Apparently their Sikh, Highland, Jack anti-Semitic, pogromist past has been forgotten. They are now jolly good chaps, Paka fellows. But they were the ones who carried out the massacre in Buka. They were the butchers of Buka. And Boris Johnson is actually there right now. Perhaps he thought there was a very real need to divert attention from the Sunday Times revelations about him this morning, which I believe, maybe I'm the only person who believes it, are existential in their nature. Here, according to the Sunday Times, is what happened. Boris Johnson took a loan of 800,000 pounds. Well, he's a guy with a lot of expenses. He has a lot of ex-wives. He has a lot of children with those ex-wives. He's even got children with other people's wives. And he is an expensive guy. So he borrowed 800,000 pounds. It's just that the bank didn't think he was um, good for the money. So they required a guarantor. The guarantor stepped forward. Just two months before, Boris Johnson made him the chairman of the BBC. Now, I'm so old, I remember when countries like Italy were famous for this kind of peola were famous for this kind of corruption we used to laugh at them my father god rest his soul was forever talking about how italy had a new prime minister every few months italy had a new finance minister foreign minister every few months italian government was a revolving door between parliament government house and big business italian politics was a country where I don't know, Prime Ministers got £800,000 in a loan guaranteed by a guy that they then gave a top blue chip position in the state too. But that happened in Britain in these revelations in the Sunday Times today. Now, I don't see how the British Broadcasting Corporation can continue to be chaired by a man who got his position corruptly. Who can say otherwise? Nobody knew that he guaranteed an 800,000 pound loan just two months before he got this position. So I am going to say he got it corruptly. Come and prove it if it is otherwise. Why did you, Mr Chairman, give Boris? What first attracted you? to guaranteeing £800,000 for the rapacious Boris Johnson. British politicians traditionally get into trouble over either sex or money. In Boris Johnson's case, it is both. He only needs the money because of his rake's progress through public life, over decades, in and out of other people's bedrooms, in and out of other people's marriages. That's why he needs the money. That's why he didn't run to become prime minister again, because he can't afford to be the British prime minister. He needs the millions that are to be found on the payola side of the tracks. Mind you, Rishi Sunak is doing such a catastrophically bad job. He was fined for the second time this week for not wearing a seatbelt on camera giving an interview. Stupid or arrogant? Or both stupid and arrogant? Challenged here in Britain. Because if it's not Rishi Sunak, it'll have to be Boris Johnson again. And if it's not Sunak or Johnson have to be a general election and then it'll be Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer who's broken every promise he has ever made to the Labour Party, to the country and is possessed of the most tyrannical, abusive, authoritarian instincts that I reiterate my view that a majority Labour government in Britain is an existential threat to the existence of the state. Apart from anything else, Scotland would be off and running. A separate Scotland run by the people who are, frankly, predators, preying on our little children. They have doubled down on their plan to ask Children between 5 and 12 if they are heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, or leaning towards transsexual. That's the government we've got in Scotland. And that policy, that set of policies, as has been lacerated by J.K. Rowling today on social media, is so disturbing that leading Nationalist politicians pose in front of signs bearing guillotines threatening to cut the heads off something they call turfs. Now, I'm too old and too working class to fully grasp what a turf is, what a cis woman is. But younger and cleverer people tell me it is that they want to cut the heads off those who don't accept that a man can become a woman by simply declaring themselves so can go into a changing room and wave their still extant dick around whilst pretending to be a woman and frightening the horses and terrorizing the little girls In the changing room, in Primark, in the swimming pool, in the gymnasium, at the keep fit class, in the girl guides, anywhere that girls, women, have over a long time actually in Britain fought and won rights to their own private spaces. Call me old fashioned. It makes me sick. But that's the independent Scotland that we would have. Doesn't it make you wish you were Chinese, celebrating the Chinese New Year? It does me. fasten your seatbelts, on the Ukraine. Go ahead, Paul. Good
3: evening, George. Good evening from dark, deepest, darkest Somerset. Uh, I'm a long-time listener and admirer, uh, first-time caller. I just wanted to... Um, Thank you. Paul. Speak with you about the troubles I have uh, um, with the Ukraine business. Um, but first of all, I just want to say for the Oxford Union debate, I'm really uh, chuffed to hear that you're going to be debating some of these uh, these awful politicians, and I hope you give
2: them both barrels and, I, I, and well, don't take I any prisoners, George. Uh, in fact, uh, it'll be it'll be more uh, it'll be more uh, Katusha, not both barrels, but uh, multi barrels. Uh, It's a debate at the Oxford Union between myself and Ben Wallace, the uh, Minister of Defence, Secretary of State for Defence in the UK, and the head of the British Army. They had to have two against one because, well, we wouldn't want them to be Outnumbered by me, uh, but it's going to be the mother of all Oxford Union debates, I can assure you. Sorry, go ahead, my friend. It'll be fascinating. And
3: um, th- I mean, my uh, MP um, is the um, Minister of the Armed Forces, uh, Mr. James Heapy. He's the MP for Wells. And uh, I, I wrote to him at great length early last year um, with, about my horror for his support. Um, for the war in Ukraine. And um, uh, he, he astonishes me. He, he uh, on his website, he had a, a vlog from the City of Wells Centre asking um, for locals for donations to the Ukrainian military. It's frankly insulting. And my father, um, my late father, um, he, he fought the Nazis in, in the last world war. Um, he, he followed Hitler from the forces from uh, North Africa through to uh, Italy, and uh, you know he was at Dunkirk. And and frankly, um, you know the UK's uh, support um, for um, fighting uh, Russia and and um, it, it, it just it just disgusts me. Um, the uh, You know and the worrying thing is with with uh, ukraine after it's all blown over if it does blow over we're still here um you know we're looking at countless years of of damage between relations and difficulties and potential geopolitical flare-ups between russia and the west russia will never trust the west again um you know you only have to look at uh, the problems or, or the the admissions from angela merkel and uh, Francois Hollande, um, saying that they had no intention, no intention at all, to uh, honour the Minsk uh, two agreement. And yeah.
2: you know... Yeah, their, the, uh, uh, their word is worth nothing, and even their signature on, uh, on agreements is worth nothing, as they have just revealed to us. They signed the Minsk agreement, they guaranteed it. In fact, in the end, the Security Council of the United Nations also, adopted the Minsk-2 agreements and thus guaranteed them but as Merkel and Macron uh, have uh, admitted there was never any intention of implementing it even though of course if it had been implemented there would have been no war in Ukraine today. Exactly
3: and you know it, it astonishes me the finality the finality of you know The current crop of British politicians from across the political divide, the Labour Party, the the Conservatives, the Liberal Democrats, seeing footage of uh, Volodymyr Zelensky um, giving a speech in front of the Commons um, middle of last year, and everyone, almost without exception, rising to their feet and clapping like, you know, seals. (laughs) Seals.
2: Just unquestioning. Seals. Paul at Somerset, a top, top call to get us off to a flying start. Thank you for it. Mick is in Leicester on the media. Go ahead,
4: Mick. Hello, George. Hi. I was going to say, George, it's an absolute honour to speak to you. Um, I've been watching your show for a long while now, George, and I just think the, the work that you're doing the good work that you're doing in, in getting things out there on your show is just absolutely fantastic, mate. There's no one out there like you, George. There's no one out there. Well, there's not many. There's
2: not many. Uh, certainly not in Britain. There are, you know, in the US, we've got a whole cater of people uh, from Max Blumenthal to Gallum Nixon and so on. We, we do have... Uh, Margaret Kimberley, who was on the show tonight, but in Britain, it's precious few. That's true.
4: I, I mean, you know, you, you you're like me, George. All I want is the truth and accountability for these crooks, these politicians that are just corrupting the complete society. I mean, whether you're Labour or where do you turn now, George? The, both sides are as bad as Fair each enough. other. There's there's nowhere to turn, and. And this war that's going on in Ukraine, I didn't, ask, I, didn't ask, well, I didn't have a vote for it, George. You didn't have a vote for it. And these people that want this war, George, why don't they get off their backside and go over there and fight if, if if they feel that strongly about it? You know? No, no, nobody yeah, I'll even go out on the streets uh, with a collection box.
2: Uh, If you went round the streets of Leicester uh, with a collection box, give money for weapons to go to Ukraine, uh, you'd have a lot of room in your collecting box at the end of your shift. Uh, Instead, we're handing money hand over fist to the Ukrainian military and people who want to save our health service are the ones who've got to go around with a collecting box. In the, uh, in the streets of our cities. It is, uh, you identify, Mick, uh, the real problem. You see, we've had terrible governments before, but we had an opposition which was better than the government. Now we've got an opposition which is worse than the government. That is a very bad situation, a dangerous situation to be in. That's probably why I misspoke earlier and said, doesn't it make you wish you were Chinese? Mick, thanks for that call. Uh, Now YouTube comments are flooding in. Morpheus X says this poll is a no surprise after... Evening,
5: George. Evening, sir. Evening. You know, I mean, I've been following this for so many years with the Ukraine war. And obviously and um, when it all kicked off as it did in twenty well not we're not talking twenty fourteen, but in twenty twenty two. Desperately worried about where where things could lead. Not to mention, as you well know, we've got the most in the UK and the USA we've got the most reckless bunch of morons you could imagine in charge. But one Yeah, one Yeah it's oh, very, and, very, and, very dangerous situation we're in Yeah. Just anecdotally, I've got to say, just and, and what I'm going to say now is something that's com- that's not scientific at all. I've noticed a change in people's opinions towards it because when I start, when when it all kicked off, I was at work, I was in the pub, and people were talking about it, and I was criticised and reduce, if you like, because the the way I I framed it, talking about it, I said, well, we've got to look at what's been happening for 10 years previously, the attitude and the actions of the UK and the USA leading up to this. This hasn't just come out of nowhere, to which a lot of people were were quite um, hostile to. But of late, I have seen a change in people's attitudes. If we can just give you one example, I was talking to a chap in the pub. We were two, this was actually before Christmas, October, November time. And he said he said he says to me, he says, what do you think about all this? And he said, and this is probably indicative of where we've got to come from on our side. We are far behind we are. I said so I went to different things that happened, all the lead up to it, this that horrendous mission of Boris Johnson to quell any peace talks which he, he, he should damn him for all eternity, uh, that particular mission, and all the rest of it, what's been going on. And he said to me, he said, do you know, he says, I've been, I've been looking through the news, papers and this, other, and he said, I knew there was something not right about it, but I just could not put my finger on. It. But if people haven't got, I know he's, we, from people who's interested, deeply interested in things like me and you and all the people listening to this programme, But to the general population, the way that news is skewed, we've just got pure propaganda. Because I know a lot of people are being misled now about because they're told all the time Ukraine is winning by any metric, Ukraine is losing because they will run out of men before Russia will. And what happens then? Yeah. My point. My point is, is, I I,
2: I think you've, uh, I think you put your finger uh, exactly on it. Uh, I'm in Europe right now. I have seen one solitary Ukrainian flag. Uh, last summer, I saw 10, 50, 100 times more than that. I have seen one Ukrainian flag. People have fallen out of love with the Ukraine war big time, despite the unrelenting propaganda barrage to which our people have all been subjected so i do think that you are right but there's not in britain there's not nearly enough outright opposition to make the politicians feel the heat and think again in france it's another matter the people are on the move in france the proximate causely is macron's plan to end increase the retirement age from 62 to 64 I'm well over 64 and I'm still working and I'll have to work for the rest of my life but people that are doing manual jobs in their 60s carrying patients uh, around in their 60s doing heavy work in their 60s, a neighbour of mine Digs roads in his 60s. They're going to have to wait until they're 67 to retire. Well, that's only the spark which is setting fire in Over France. Watch evening. out! The French people are on the move. Now, In the second hour, which I've overrun by four minutes, my apologies to my director, we've got the one and only James Melville, the most perspicacious. I was the latter, of course, the biggest critic. But we now have a situation where two of the most effective critics of the current international situation All come from within 10 miles of each other. I'm one of them. Our next guest is the other. He's a very clever Scotsman indeed. He is James Melville, an internet sensation who has risen and risen over the last few years because of the smartness of his analysis and his eloquence in making it. James, welcome back uh, to the show. Here's the big question. I don't know if you know the answer, but why did Gates, Soros and Schwab all miss the World Economic Forum in Davos this year? Is there something going on? Is there an even more devilish conclave
0: somewhere else that they were all attending? Well, thanks for the intro, first of all. I mean, there must be something about the east coast of Scotland that creates opinionated um, Viewpoints, um, and just one thing as well. I mean, I've, I've often thought this about yourself, George, and I seem to get this as well. We haven't left the left, but large components of the left appear to have left us, and that sort of manifests itself with the jam- jamboree and the WEF and Davos. Actually, Swab was there, I think but the other two weren't. And I think what's happened is, I think what's happened since the COVID response onwards is people are looking at a lot of these bad actors and these sort of jamborees. It's not just at the WEF, but it's also at COP G20. And they're looking at our leaders and our billionaires, effectively the elites, even though they're they're parasites, and they're looking at these individuals think, they're over there clinking their glasses. But meanwhile, we're over here, us plebs, and we're dealing with a cost-of-living crisis. And yet they're coming up with solutions and agendas, which is their kind of framework of solutions, which is not in keeping with the vast majority of the needs of people in this country, in the UK, and many where, many where else. I think what we've now got is a set of corporate politicians in alignment with technocrats and greedy corporations who are using a virtue con. To try and hoover up a lot of our assets, whether it be energy, money, data and, so- and health care and so on. And I think slowly but surely the public are seeing through this. So that is, I think, why the traction on the WF Davos this year hasn't been the same as previous years. Davos has gone from the 1970s and 80s pretty much as a kind of policy wonk shop to where we are over the last few years, where it's now a kind of grandstanding exercise for our elites to um, peddle a lot of agendas that effectively feather their own nests. So I think people are beginning to see through. Is it, as some say,
2: uh, I think Elon Musk said, an unelected world government, uh, at least embryonic uh, world government,
0: or are we... Uh, getting too hot under the collar about it Uh, i think i don't think it's i don't think the wf is the source of a future sort of new world order or world government i think they're a pr machine i think they're a networking club where it allows agendas to be formed and all these elites to meet up and if you look at some of the stuff that wf have been um sort of populating society with through their papers and their tweets over the last Four or five years about sort of getting rid of meats and net zero agendas and responses to COVID and all of that stuff. And a lot of, you know, a lot of technological advances are wrapped around the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. They're putting this nudge out there, of which it seems to be slightly coordinated with our political leaders and a lot of our corporates and media to use those sort of nudge tactics for the WF to then use that within legislation in their own individual countries. I think the WF is like a conduit for this. They don't have any legislation, but I think they're nudging individuals within within certain states, whether that be through media and also our politicians, to try and implement those agendas that they have put in place. I think the WF, in terms of their influence, is there. I mean, it was Klaus Schwab that previously said that the WF are penetrating cabinets all around the world through the Young Leaders Programme. So they do have influence, but they are setting agendas that are nudging various governments in certain directions. And it does feel coordinated. This is not conspiracy theory nonsense. This is all out there. They've written these documents. These individuals are attending their summits and their meetings. So this is, it's not conspiracy theory if it's actually happening. Um, but I think what the main purpose of WS is, is, is to nudge individuals in a particular direction rather than, you know, them themselves being sort of the, the government. And the, the, the whole aspect of the WF being the center point of this isn't really, it's not really true. That's bogus. But they are influencing and they're using their tentacles to spread their messages on a worldwide basis. They're
2: such hypocrites, though, James. I mean, I saw a message uh, from somebody who is, was actually there, who said that, you know how these receptions, they pass around the silver platter, the waiter comes around. It was all sausage and meat in a gathering that is telling people to stop eating meat. They tell you to stop flying, but they all fly in, in their private jets. They tell you to go green, drive electric, and they're pounding in, in their four-wheel drives, their escalades and so on. Um, there's
0: but such hypocrites about it all. Completely, this, this is happening at COP as well. I mean, you know, it happened in Egypt, happened in Glasgow as well, where they're, you know, they're, they're serving silver platters of meat dishes, but also flying in by private jet. I think there was some analysis done on the, you know, the, the Davos last year, and COP last year in terms of carbon footprints. And in terms of private jet use, it was off the scale combined with the motorcades. So what we've got right now, George, is a bunch of high highfalutin elites who are tending, whether it's COP, G20, G7, WEF, and they're preaching to the rest of us how to save the planet. Now, I'm a lifelong environmentalist, but I'm a believer that we have to have solutions to save the planet that actually work. And I will actually take my advice on those solutions from individuals who are not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. So when you see royalty, politicians, um, technocrats, and business leaders who are flying into these jamborees to tell us then to save the planet, despite the fact they're using private jets, I'll take their advice with a pinch of salt. And I think the majority of people are waking up to this. They're looking at these individuals, attending this time and time again, not just WF, but COP and so on, and thinking these individuals are so out of sync with the real needs that are facing people all around the world right now. We're in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, and we have a government and an opposition, and also local authorities as well, who are coming up with solutions that are authoritarian, draconian, and actually crass logic, and they're actually affecting businesses. If you look at something that's happening, for instance, around the country, whether it's in Oxford, um, Islington, but it's also proposed in Scotland for 15-minute, 20-minute cities... Which, based on what's happening in Oxford, business leaders are aghast about because it's cutting their trade. And if you look what's happening in Scotland now, I saw this today, whereby they're now proposing in in Edinburgh that no meat will be served on any school menu or any hospital or care home. So we're coming up with these solutions that start off with things like the WF and then bleed across our political discourse nationally, then locally. And the rest of the population are going, I've had enough of this. And I think there's been a sea change. Well, people were largely complying to the rules and restrictions over COVID, I mean, I disagreed with a lot of these restrictions, but people went along with that. But I think what's happening now, particularly with some of the agendas that are coming out of the WEF around net zero, even environmentalists are looking at some of these so-called solutions on net zero and thinking, this is crass logic. It doesn't add up, and it's savagely affecting individual livelihoods, and in particular, their opportunity and the freedom for business to trade effectively.
2: Well, we were only allowed uh, fish on uh, Friday. Uh, uh, are we going to have to have fish every day, or do they
0: count that as meat? <laughs> That's a good point. I think where we're at now is that, it, for me, if you put all these parts together, it is a giant virtue cop whereby what they're doing, it's the oldest trick in the book, in terms of authoritarianism, is to say, we are the good guys. We come up with good measures. But actually, it's a smokescreen for what they really want, and that is a gigantic asset plunder of all our freedoms and assets. And I think people are beginning to see through it. They can peddle what they want in a WF or COP, but it's laced with hypocrisy. And people are looking at these individuals and thinking, well, they're actually not focusing on the real issues that are happening in countries around the world, and right now that is the cost of living crisis. So you have for instance in the UK, an energy crisis, both in terms of supply and also price. Yet the energy supply and price issue in the UK, the government is saying it's somehow to do with the Russians in Ukraine, which is ridiculous, that's largely caused because the storage facilities of energy, in particular gas, have been cut by this Tory government over the last few years. So much so that Britain as one of the worst storage facilities in Europe. Therefore, we have to import gas from Norway. That is one of the main reasons why our um, gas costs are so high. So we're in this uh, framework whereby people are looking at this more and more and more, thinking, well, okay, I went along with it over the COVID response, but I'm not buying this anymore because I'm losing my conveniences, I'm losing my livelihoods, and the government are failing to address the cost of living crisis. Meanwhile, Our political elected representatives are spending more time grandstanding around forums in Davos. Now, we all know that Davos is a sort of talking shop for the great and good and the elites, but it's it's resonating with people in the fact that you're getting individuals like Sunak and Starmer. Sunak hasn't been at um, WEF, but he was at COP. Starmer's at Davos. These individuals shouldn't be there. They should be working to try and resolve the problems that we face in this country. And I agree with the point that you said earlier. We have politicians and political leaders who are not really giving off the impression that they are concerned with the needs of people in the UK right now. And the same applies in other countries around the world. We have right now two cheeks of the same backside in the UK. We have a government that's more concerned about leadership contests and soirees around the world. And we have an opposition that's effectively saying the same thing. Virtuous. Uh, signallers
2: Tony Blair and Lord Peter Mandelson they were both at Davos and I saw umpteen pictures of them both sitting down with some of the most powerful uh, leaders in the world Um, so if if you want to take your virtue signalling from Tony Blair or Peter Mandelson I'm afraid there's no hope
0: for us what did you think when you saw them there Well, and that just sums it all up. I mean, Blair, he was on that panel fundamentally talking about, and that was the the main theme, actually, taking a step back, the main theme of the WF was about all the problems in the world, and it seemed to be that their solution for every single one was digital ID, digitalization of everything. And that's what Blair was talking about. And Blair's got form on this. He was proposing um, ID cards back in the day when he was prime minister, and it didn't happen. He's still doing this, and he was framing it around vaccination and the need for digital ID. That is what Blair is about. It's about a move towards digital ID, and of of, of which many others in the WF were doing the same thing. Now, there's aspects of of digitalization that are good. It benefits society. But I have a problem with aspects of digital ID, in particular, if you're going to basically do a one-size-fits-all approach to uh, healthcare policy based on digital ID, and also central bank digital currencies, which I think a lot of these agendas are moving towards, because we know that the fiat monetary system is a busted flush. It has been for, well, at least since 2008, 2009 financial crisis. And I think a lot of it, in terms of what's happened over the last two or three years, has been this mission creep towards central bank digital currencies. There's pilot schemes, there is um, consultation documents happening in numerous countries around the world, executive borders even in the states. And I think that ultimately is their their agenda here. And that concerns me because once we lose our financial freedom to the state, who knows where that ends up? You know, I'm not saying we'll end up with social credit systems, but it ends up with a risk because if state controls our financial transactions, then we have lost more autonomy than we've possibly lost in the last two or three years. And going back to Tony Blair, he's like one of the poster boys of this form of globalism. Now, I used to be a fan of globalism based on a historical context about the ties that need to be bound around trade and defence after the Second World War for perpetually warring um, Western Europe. But somehow it's become completely out of sync We've got individuals who are utilising forms of globalism in the wrong way. I'm a massive internationalist. I like learning from different cultures all around the world. I love travelling, like experiencing different approaches to society. But what's happening now is you're getting the mix of these politicians, these corporations and technocrats under the auspice of corporatism by trying to mould the world to the same shape largely driven by digital ID I think that is a huge concern going forward uh, I know I didn't
2: ask you on to ask you this but I can't let you go another of our compatriots JK Rowling has been comprehensively trashed she has been uh, ghosted, she has been written out of her own uh, films and uh, books, she is attacked as every ist and phobe that you can imagine, and people are regularly threatening her with, uh, with death and, uh, and mutilation. It is an extraordinary state that our little country has become obsessed with sexual and gender politics so that J.K. Rowling can couldn't walk down Princess Street, uh, which she used to do and is, even more than you and I, our most successful export.
0: I think it's terrible, George. I, I don't know what's ha- I mean, it's something I could write a book about, what's happened to Scotland. Now, me and you will always disagree on independence, but um, I have a massive problem with what's happening in Scotland, largely driven by the Scottish government. I think they're moving Scotland into a very dangerous territory on a number of fronts. There was a hate speech um, act um, combined with you know, gen- the, the Gender Identity Act. And then there's, there's aspects in terms of online security acts as well. They're moving Scotland in a direction whereby that is not what I remember or think Scotland should be. One of the great things I... I feel proud about being a Scot, and I'm sure you'll say at is that the, are, the Scottish people are largely independent, critical thinkers, and I think the current Scottish government are trying to remove that from the Scottish people. J.K. Rowling, fundamentally, what she's trying to do is protect women's rights, and I say this as a you know, a massive supporter of feminism. I think from annual Pankhurst onwards, there's been huge developments in um, women's rights, and rightly so. And I think what is happening in Scotland right now, I mean I'm reading reports for instance whereby kids at the age of seven are having to tick a box on their own gender identification. That is that's wrong. That doesn't make me some sort of far right grifter or bigot from saying that. I think the majority, the silent majority of people in Scotland are appalled by what's happening here. and Are appalled by what's happening to J.K. Rowling. But I, I doff my cap to her, in the simple fact that she's keeping on going, and she's doing it fundamentally because she's trying to protect women's rights. Yeah, she's been tweeting all day. She's uh,
2: definitely uh, not running away. James Melville, you'll never run away either. Thanks for wake Wickham on the reparations debate, which always gets the phone lines buzzing. Go ahead, Vincent. Yeah, hello, George. How are you doing? Good sir, nice
3: to hear from you. Yes, I would say the reparations debate is a bit silly, because um, you had slavery all around the world. You had slavery in Africa, you had slavery in Asia, you had slavery in every continent uh, around the world. It was um, the rule, not the exception, that slavery was um, those days.
2: Well, that's true, uh, Vincent, but uh, we're only responsible for our part of the world. Clearly, we cannot take responsibility for uh, slavery in China, which existed before the victory of Mao Zedong and the Communist Party of China. Clearly, we cannot be held responsible for that. But we do have some responsibility, don't we, for Uh, the uh, actions of our own state. And our own state became the biggest slave trader in all the history of mankind. And many of our cities, uh, great cities, wealth was built on slaving, like Bristol, like Liverpool, like Glasgow, became wealthy, mighty cities because they were... Slave trading centers. Do you not think our country has some responsibility in that regard? Well, the, the, there was um,
3: there was different slavery um, across the world.
2: May benefit. Well, but why would that? Why is that an answer to the question I just asked you? Sorry, <laughs> Vincent. I know you weren't expecting that question, but. I mean the fact that somebody else done it uh in previous centuries is not a reason for us not taking responsibility for what we've done much more recently is it um i can't think about it i'll let you think about it um, vincent i'll let you think about it david is
4: in swindon on taiwan go ahead david yeah thanks on taiwan just before i get to that main point of taiwan I just want to come in on that tank thing. While I was waiting, I heard you talk about the uh, the Americans saying about tanks. Well, what about them sending their Abraham's yeah, to the Washington? Post. I don't hear yeah. about that.
2: Yeah, exactly,
4: exactly. Germany should not stand for it. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, and they complain about like um, Iran supplying about three hundred drones. They try and control. Tank that arrived in the country. Um, before it had done
2: any damage to anybody else. And thirdly, because it would effectively be a declaration of war between the United States and Russia. The, oh, I go to time the United time States, on, States
4: is not ready. Yeah, the United States is yeah, not Before I go to Taiwan, on. one more thing on those tanks. As soon as those tanks, as soon as the Challenger tank comes in, or the Abrams or the Leclerc or the Challenger, the Russians will know where they're coming in. By, and they'll, they'll transport them by rail. And they'll know where they're coming in and they will stop them, and quite rightly so. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, on to Taiwan. Go on, Dave. So, can you just, because this is the University of the Airways, I just wanted you to clarify for me, because I'm quite a simple soul. After the end of the World War II, Taiwan was given to China as part of the uh, sort of reparations. Well, it
2: was always a part of it was a part of China for many centuries before that but you're right, Japan seized it, occupied it as part of its uh, rampage of murder and rape across all of Asia Uh, when it was liberated from Japan, the United Nations, all the countries of the United Nations (laughs) agreed that Taiwan would, of course, be part of China. It's only it. in later years that they sought
4: to rewrite that history. So, yeah, but so, if you look at Taiwan is not a nation. It's not one of the 192 nations, because no. it belongs to China. So they can fly over the jets if they want. Nobody recognizes it. They can send anyone. Nancy Pelosi there. Of course. <laughs> now, whatever happened to
2: the story about Nancy Pelosi's husband getting hammered. I wonder wonder. the real story behind that. David, thanks uh, for the call. Now, on the 7th of February...
1: Yes, people, we'll leave it at that, and Alhamdulillah, a lot of uh, interesting topics are coming through, and uh, the bottom line is... uh, the world is waking up, and uh, to all this deceit and lies. And uh, thanks to George uh, Galloway and all those uh, friends of his uh, that he, uh, you know, brings on his show that are already giving us information that will, inshallah, turn the tide. But uh, once again, I must thank uh, Lucarlo for doing a brilliant engineering uh, this evening, and also thank you for tuning in. And uh, keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming, and also. Uh, yeah, our engineers, they do the best uh, to get you some uh, lovely nasheeds interspersed in the programs too. From the team and I, till we meet you again, uh, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.